to the Marathon Medic podcast. I'm your host, Amy Bolsh, a doctor and running coach with an interest in sports and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are all about physical activity, exercise and health, and today I'm joined by Dr. Rob Galloway. Rob is an A&E consultant based in Brighton and also medical director for the Brighton Marathon. Rob is also closely involved in the Brighton Marathon Research Group. On today's episode, we're discussing Rob's personal running journey, as well as the health benefits of keeping physically active, top tips for staying safe when marathon running, and we also cover some of the research work conducted at the Brighton Marathon. Hi Rob, thanks so much for, for joining me. Would you mind just introducing yourself to everyone that's listening? Not at all. So my name's Rob, I'm an a consultant based down in Brighton, um, but also I've got a passion in sports medicine. So I did a BSE in sports and exercise physiology, and um, then when I became a consultant about 12 years ago, got involved in Brighton Football Club, and so I'm their medical advi- one of their medical advisors, but also I'm the lead crowd doctor for Brighton Hove Alpine Football Club, and also am the medical director for the Brighton Marathon and lead the Brighton Marathon Research Group. Or not lead, but I, I help facilitate. There's, I'm not one of the main researchers. There's a whole team behind us. I just help facilitate the research. Perfect. And we're going to um, chat a little bit more about the Brighton Marathon Research Group. But I was just wondering, with that interest in, in sports and exercise, how come it was the A&E route that you chose? Because if there are medics listening, there's a, there's a lot of routes you can take to be involved in sports medicine. So how come you chose A&E? Yeah, so, uh, you know, you can go down the GP route, you can go down the A&E route or the medicine route. In all honesty, um, for anyone out there, I'd probably advise the, um, even as an A&E doctor, the GP route, um, because you get that qualification on top of being the sports medic so you can always get that other income but um i've got anybody knows me i've got knows i've got an attention span of absolutely bugger all and um i couldn't really do any other specialty i'm actually um co-trained as an itu consultant but um after the first couple of hours of a ward round i would just long that my bleep would go off so i could go down to a and e and then the more senior i got in intensive care i realized that i just did ward rounds and i couldn't cope with it so i went back to a and e but it's in some ways, I do a lot more of the crowd stuff, especially for Brighton. I, I don't do look after any of the players, really, except this is a real emergency. So I do the, the crowd stuff. And actually, an A&E background for crowd medicine is really useful because it's like running a, a mini hospital with a large number of people, you know, with a large crowd, and some are always going to need help. Um, and so it's great for that point of view. But also from a sports medicine point of view, for the football, for example, it's useful for those acute injuries. Whereas, you know, if you are going to go into sports medicine as a career, probably wouldn't recommend copying me mine's i'm a passionate amateur and probably if i had my life again would have done it in a different way to be honest um but yeah so don't copy me (laughs) that's that's always useful to know isn't it um and then you're obviously involved with brighton marathon and am i correct in thinking that you recently did your own first marathon yes so essentially the start of um lockdown or when i started seeing patients with covid i basically just realized um you know i was looking at an a and everyone unhealthy is dying and everyone who looks thin and healthy isn't dying that's my broad um, categories of patients and i thought oh my god this is bad i was going through a um probably a, in almost a midlife crisis at the time and recently been separated and was you know i could have either taken up drinking or running and because probably i've got a deep down addictive personality and um i just got panicked seeing the um patients who were getting really really ill and so i um drove home that day and then basically chucked my car keys in a drawer, locked it up and then ran to work. And the first run to work was, it was like, it's only like six and a half K to work. And I was exhausted, sweating, 
took me like three years to get there, need an ECG to check I hadn't died when I got to work and um, then stumbled really with great difficulty and but then started running. Um, you know, I've been, a, it was ridiculous. I was a massive, passionate believer in health and exercise. And I think one of the things in my job is I realise all I'm doing nowadays is putting a sticky plaster on the failings of public health. And that's what I do as a consultant. I look after people who've eaten too much, not exercised enough, smoked too much or drunk too much or are lonely and depressed. And although I'd advocated exercise, I'd probably fallen into that trap of thinking I didn't have time to exercise. So I got a bit fat, got a bit lazy. And then I suddenly realized that I need to change my life and then started running and then just didn't stop running. And then I did my first trail marathon. So I hadn't done a marathon before, but I did my first trail marathon two weeks ago. The first 20K were lovely. And I was thinking, this is easy. Why do people moan about marathons? And I was, for a 45-year-old bloke who'd never run before three years ago, I was doing brilliant. I was like, brilliant. And then, my God, the agony in my right toe and right knee. And then I did the slowest 22 kilometers ever. I think I went backwards at one point. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was, I don't know if you know Brighton, but it was up, the last hill was up Ditchling built Beacon. And I've never, sworn, okay. I've never sworn as much as I did. So I, I did it in five hours forty, which is probably embarrassing looking at your times. But it was up uh, three and a half thousand feet as well up. And also, it was a it was a trail marathon. It was a trail marathon, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that, that that's always quite interesting to do as your first ever yeah, marathon experience um, is go off road and up hills. Um, but I obviously haven't been able to do the Brighton. So since I've been running, I did the I did the Brighton ten k just before I started working at the Brighton Marathon. So. You know, I did the 10K, then did the shift to be in charge. And so I did that in 43 minutes. So I was quite pleased with that. And then I did a half marathon in one hour, 41. Um, but I've not been able to do a marathon before because of um, being the medical director of Brighton Marathon. And Courtney, I don't know if you know Courtney um, Kipps. Yes. Yeah, he, very, yeah. he very kindly helped negotiate a, a, marathon, a London marathon place for me. Um, so I'm um, going to do a London marathon to see if I can get a vaguely sensible time. Um, from so you'll be running that this October yes yes I've got a place for that so I can try and um... see you there me too oh cool um, I might <laughs> what I probably want to do is start listening to your podcast and get some advice because I am probably pretty useless even though I'm a medical director I know how to do the the Ill, illness stuff but I'm probably not <laughs> trained properly but um, yes that's that's my it doesn't help knowing all of the illness things if it's you that needs the, uh, the medical attention I know to drink to thirst and not take NSAIDs that's my only tip yeah. I give to myself. So it's perfect. Yeah. So I, I will see you for about 30 seconds when then you storm past me. Um, how do you think that experience of running the trail marathon will affect your role as medical director as, as Brighton Marathon? So it's obviously giving you a lot of insight into what runners go yeah. through and, and you start not thinking straight during those last few Ks. You can understand what was really interesting was actually running past someone who had heat stroke crazy uh, i hope he's not listening but he you know it's june it was boiling hot and he had a thick all-in-one black suit having his legs and his arms it's like and he was just wobbling it's like what are you doing mate and he's like oh, i've got sunburn so i had to wear this and he was so confused and he's just like i know they obviously get confused you know because I, I treat it i've written national guidance on heat stroke i did five hours 40 but five minutes was to stop and help somebody so i couldn't take that excuse um so i had to stop literally i took off his jumper and he's like, I'm not going to take on my jump. Like, you're, and then I threw water on him and then sit down, you know, sit down and then carry on running. And it was just really interesting to see see him. I've, I've, I felt, I think probably I was going so slow that I didn't, uh, you know, trail marathons are very, aren't dangerous in terms of heat stroke because it, it's the, the heat versus the time, you know, the heat generation versus the time to excrete the heat. And so very few people get heat stroke during trail marathons. So I didn't feel 
unwell i just felt in agony but also what was really interesting so i've done you know loads of reading about you know i'm obsessed by sports medicine and and exercise physiology and i know you get that that last kilometer you get that utter somewhere you find that extra power and it's really interesting so this um i did i did it um my dad was a runner and i'd never i followed his footsteps until i was about age 14 and then um, didn't follow his footsteps but then I, I raised money for he died of bowel cancer recently so i raised money for bowel cancer and i was thinking about my dad in the last 5k and then thinking i oh, wouldn't it be nice if my fifth my 13 year old son came and joined me in the last um kilometer and then suddenly he did and then he held my hand for the last kilometer running and then my other son who's eight for the last like 200 meters i suddenly didn't have any pain at all and I went from being in agony to sprinting the last 200 kilometers. And I like, overtook about eight people. And I was so fast. I was like, well, I couldn't have done that last 22 kilometers. Um, but it really just shows you that there is a load of mind over matter. And the psychology of running is so much more important than I've ever realized. Because if I'd had that endorphin high, I possibly wouldn't have been in pain for those so badly and slowed down so much. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting in summary. I definitely feel like the longer the races are as well, the more that becomes true, the mind over matter to push through and keep going. Yeah. Um, I, so especially on the, on the trails. I, I've got the bug. There was a, there was a trail at a longer, like I think it was a 50 K from Horsham to Brighton. I was looking at my friends was doing it. I can't do it cause I'm working a Brighton match, but I'm definitely going to look for some 50 K or 50 K trails in the, um, next year or something. Cause it was, although it's painful, I really, really enjoyed it retrospectively. Just not, yeah. Just type too fun when you enjoy it afterwards. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, um, tell me a little bit about the Brighton Marathon Research Group when you were set up and and what it involves. Yeah, so I've been involved. So, the, so I've been involved from the beginning as a volunteer for the first couple of years for the Brighton Marathon, and then I was asked to be medical director after that. And it always existed a little bit, but we've really taken the Brighton Marath- Marathon set up and the research to it i think to a different level in terms of what we've been doing so brighton marathon is quite unique if you take the london marathon there's 15 hospitals within a three mile radius of the course at any one point which all can take a lot of a e patients um brighton marathon has got you know we're by the sea so we can't go south um we're the only hospital at all really for um for the whole marathon and and uh, probably people don't know it. it's i'm a consultant there but out of and it's very challenged we've got wards which are built before florence nightingale and we're getting a new build but till that it's you know out of all the hospitals it's got great room for, for improvement shall we say and there's often long waits to get into in, into cubicles and, and if we were to put into hospital the number of runners that traditionally you would have the council advisory group and would get presentations from the hospital to say we can't run it so we've always had to do the brighton marathon medical team in a very different way and really try and prevent admissions to hospital so this year we only had one medical admission to hospital throughout all our runners and 10k runners which i think is fantastic so we've always had two main field tents and a um their consultant led plus all our other smaller first aid aid areas and the ambulance service which we work in conjunction with st john so we work in conjunction with st john and i bring the medics on top and the physios and the podiatrists and pharmacy and stuff we've been innovating so for the last four years we've um, worked with um, it's now bart's um, health trust to have pre-hospital ecmo so we've got ecmo capability and we've simmed that um, and then we started to do a lot more research a lot of people have joined our research groups so we've got luke hodgson at worthing um, originally with richard venn and todd lecky and then dan fitzgerald and then we've um, joined with mike stacy and he's 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 from the military 
and he does a lot of sports and exercise, especially on heat stroke, works on trying to prevent some of the SAS heat stroke um, fatalities, and so they brought their, their group down. So we basically, it's, it's, it's a group where we have had all that collaboration. People can just come, so it's not just one group. Uh, when I say the Bright Marathon Research Group, it's our, we are the logistics hub, and then loads of people feed into it. It's also Courtney's sent um, surveys to our runners, and we've got a brilliant relationship with our Brighton Marathon, brilliant relationship with our Brighton Marathon organisers, and they totally get why when i said i'd be the medical director we had to do it in a different way to other marathons but also why i wanted research to be the key part and i think we do so much research considering our size and so they facilitate all the tents that we need at the end for the research they facilitate all the emails or places to do bloods and so we've done a load of work on cardiac troponin markers on renal markers and then this year with Yanis's group, um, we I think it's fascinating, and it's I think it's going to change our knowledge of heat stroke. We got fifty runners to swallow swallow temperature capsules, two temperature capsules, and then went to a, a Wi-Fi to a watch, and then Wi-Fi from the watch to a central hub, so you could see people's core temperature when they're running. And I my previous understanding of heat stroke was you're running, you got too hot over forty, and then you collapse because it was too hot. What is fascinating is we've some, seen some runners completely fine running with temperatures of 40.2, 40.3, which we never thought would happen. And if that had been in the lab, they would have stopped them straight away. But because they're on the course, you can't. And these are normal runners who complete the marathon and completely fine. So it's made us think, what on earth is heat stroke? Because if you've got people at that temperature running completely well, then why are they not getting heat stroke and why are others getting heat stroke? And so... The, I think it's um, you know the, the old adage: the more we find out, the less we know. And I find science fascinating, and that's why I love the the, the physiology of it. And I think you can transfer what we're learning into non-runners as well. That's the first part of the research. The second part, which I really want to push the research group into, is public health. And I think I've had an epiphany. You know, so I first working in the NHS in 1995 as a first year medical student and being a consultant for 12 years. And I always, you know, thought, yes, what I'm doing is I'm, you know, any consultants, aren't we great? But actually, public health has failed. I'm just picking up the pieces of a society which can't cope. All these elderly people in their seven, not they're, they're not elderly, but they're in seventies and they've got diabetes, ischemic heart disease, strokes, ischemic legs, and they're just honestly falling apart. I used to, I'm, I'm political and I used to think um, that more, you just need to put more money in and then it just will solve its problems. And my left-wing bias still thinks that. But actually, I've come to realise that however much money we put in, it's not going to work unless we stop the fundamental problem of we've got too much comorbidity. And life expectancy has gone from 65 in men to 80 and 70 to 84. But with that increase, the vast majority of that is unhealthy years of life. And that's awful for our economy, awful for the NHS, because our demands are just going up exponentially. And the way we can do that is through public health and sport and exercise. And that's why probably if I had my career again, I would go into sports medicine for the preventative side. But actually in my position now, I think I can try and manoeuvre my career into trying to change the future, you know, public health, because that's what I'm, I'm passionate about. Because And that's why I'm so pleased when you asked me to speak about it, because I want to, because I genuinely think, Yes, running and exercise physiology is fascinating, but actually getting people exercising is what's amazing for public health. And I genuinely think that that's what we need to do. And that's what I want to, uh, you know, we, we've done a little bit of studies on that, but I really want to push it there. So if there are any medics or social scientists or psychologists out there 
who are interested in the public health aspects of research. What is amazing is our Brighton Marathon, um, the team organising it, totally support all the medical stuff we're doing. That's why it's so easy to work with us. If you do want to join any research, whether the medical side, but especially the psychological side and the public health benefits, please contact me because I'm looking for, for more partners to... We want to basically do a cohort a cohort prospective study on people who just sign up for the marathon and follow them through and see what happens to them and see how they turn out and see the impacts, especially people who aren't normally runners. And I think if you've got a goal like a marathon, your chances of stopping exercise is 20% is 20% of the average person who takes up running. Um, and I think that's a very long answer to a short question, so apologies. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I was just going to touch on the fact that I think marathons are such a great public health tool they definitely get the community out onto the street you're watching people running if you look if you watch the london marathon there are people of all ages all shapes and sizes all levels of ability and i think it's really encouraging for the general population that maybe have have thought you know i'm not a runner to think actually you know these people don't look like what i assume a runner looks like and i can therefore get involved in, in exercise absolutely and there's some myths people think oh marathon running is dangerous no it's not the benefits of marathon running are so 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 outweighed by the very very small risks there are some risks of a cardiac arrest that risk is slightly higher for a runner doing a marathon than the general population in that four and a half hours that they're doing the marathon but if you then take out all the benefits after that it is so much healthier to run marathons than not run marathons and a little bit of running is better than none and a bit more is better than a little bit the only time when exercise there's this j-shaped curve of mortality when the amount of exercise you've done and it's only when you do more than about 10 hours of intense exercise every single day does it actually increase your risk of sudden cardiac and death so unless you are planning on running more than 10 hours a day run as much as you can because it's going to do you the world of good there's other myths about heat stroke yes it can happen but it's so preventable. Don't run if you've got a virus. Don't wear stupid clothes. Drink to thirst. Wear a hat. And if you're feeling unwell, just stop. And then the key one is NSAIDs. People think, you know, what really, I don't like Boris and nor does anybody else, but he really pissed me off when he's London mayor when he said, um, oh, just take a load of ibuprofen before you do the marathon. You couldn't get any more stupid advice than that because what the anti-inflammatories do is it affects gut permeability. One of the things we think heat stroke is, is related to is the heat causes increased gut permeability and then you get the sequestration of gut microbes into the body and then you get heat stroke. So just don't take anti-inflammatories. If you feel unwell, stop and you will not suffer from the consequences of heat stroke. If you have had heat stroke before, you do need to see a doctor because they can do some tests to try and work out why and you just need to be really careful you don't do too much. And the other big um, anomaly is people think that it makes your knees worse. It couldn't be further from the truth. Rugby and football, I'm a big football player, is what damages knees because of the twisting motion. Running will actually, even if it feels, feels painful, will in the long term improve the, the joints and reduce the risk of osteoarthritis. It will, you know, yes, I've got pain in my knee, but it will go and long term be better. And the big thing, especially for females, is it reduces your risks of neck femur fractures. So um, it reduces the risk of osteoporosis and neck femur fractures in, in males and females, but it's more common in females because of and the menopause. Um, is your bones get brittle, your bones get um, weak, and they break more easily. And if you break your hip bone, you've got a 50% chance of mortality in the next year of your life. And so running really reduces the risk of that fracture in the future. 
Perfect. Thanks for thanks for summarising. That's going to be one of my later questions or your top tips, but um, you've just, uh, you just summarised them there. <laughs> no, 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 that's great. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, and just, just um, because we kept using the word NSAIDs, just in case anyone oh, listening sorry. doesn't know what yeah. NSAID is, that's an, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So the main one that you're going to get over the counter is ibuprofen, but any in that category are advised strongly against um, during marathon running. One question I had on that actually was... Um, Obviously, people might use those day to day for other things, a headache. Some some people may take ibuprofen. What time period should people stop taking those before a marathon? Should you make sure you're not taking ibuprofen for a week before your marathon, for example? Should it be longer than that? Yeah, I think no one knows, to be honest. Um, but there's short term impacts of NSAIDs and then there's some of the long term impacts on the gut permeability. So in terms of the pain relief, it will work for about, about eight hours. But in terms of the impact on gut permeability, it could be up to five to seven days. So I wouldn't take any for a week before a marathon. That's my best estimate. I don't think there's any data on that. What I would say is paracetamol is probably, you know, uh, anti-inflammatory is a great short-term solution. But also paracetamol is probably a better thing if you've got headaches. Perfect. Um, so when runners sign up to marathons or any other type of sporting event, they often are asked to fill out patient questionnaires about their medical problems. I was just wondering, as someone who kind of works on the other side of marathons in, in terms of looking after the health of all the runners, do people fill those in accurately? Are they helpful? Should we as runners be making more effort to fill them in correctly? Um, and depending on those answers, is is it worthwhile for the marathon to be to be sending out these questionnaires? Because I know from experience, a lot of people don't don't even bother filling them out. Yeah. So, do feel people fill them out correctly? No. Do I want them to? Yes. I'll give you an example. Not of when I was a marathon medic, but um, I also used to um, before I had kids. I was an expedition doctor. Not that it sounds a bit exciting, but it was you know those treks you do for people do these treks around you know for charity. So I, I went on an Inca Trail trek, and suddenly up this mountain, this person got really really wheezy and could hardly breathe, and I sat wrong and thinking. And I listened to her, and I'm like, oh my god, it's like the worst asthma attack ever. And I said, my god, what's going on? she's not got asthma and she's really, really wheezy. She goes, what do you mean I've not got asthma? I was like, well, your form says you've not got asthma, um, but you're, you sound like you've got really severe. Like, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm awful. My asthma's awful. I've been admitted to ITU before. It's like, why don't you put that on form? It's like, well, because you wouldn't have let me do the trek, would you? It's like, no, of course not. And she had to be carried down the mountain by a load of um, Sherpas because she was so hypoxic and she didn't fill in the form because we wouldn't have allowed her to do the, the trek. So the first thing to say is no one is going to stop anybody doing a marathon because of what is on your form. A lot of people don't fill in the forms because they're worried we'll look at them and say, you can't do it. No one's going to do that. If you do a marathon, I don't I don't know any medical condition which would stop someone doing a marathon, in honesty, because you can just do it slowly. Now, what we would say is if you've got a medical condition, discuss it with your GP, okay? So, yes, if someone's going up altitude, I would certainly stop them if they had asthma. But if someone's got asthma, the best thing you can do for your asthma is exercise. The next thing is it really does help us know what's going on. So I had a patient who had really severe heat stroke and we couldn't work out what was going on. And I looked, I took off his thing, nothing on his back of his, um, no contact details, which was really difficult because his family didn't, he was collapsed, unconscious, really unwell. And we didn't know who to contact at all. And then we looked at his form and we eventually got it, but um, on the computer and any medical problems, no. And it's when he woke up, he admitted he had um, multiple medical problems. He was on Ariprazole, which is an atypical antipsychotic, and that makes you prone to heat stroke. And if I'd known that at the beginning, I would have been more able to understand why standard treatments weren't working. 
and I would have been more comfortable in sending him to hospital earlier. And we did the, you know, he did brilliantly. He had to go to intensive care for a couple of days. And he'd also had a previous episode of heat stroke. And if, you know, and that's the only thing which prevent that's that. So when I said nothing would stop you doing a marathon, the only thing which would and should stop anyone doing a marathon is heat stroke. If you've ever had proper heat stroke where you've got admitted to hospital, you must, must, must go to a GP before doing something, anything more than 10K really, because anything over 10K you can get heat stroke. But so, so these forms are useful. We're not going to stop you. Because even if you had heat stroke, we just say you must discuss it with the GP and we'd probably advise maximum 10K, but I can't stop anyone doing a marathon in all honesty um, because you know, we know people could just lie. Um, but please don't lie. If you have got heat stroke, please discuss it with the GP and my strongest recommendation is don't do a marathon again. But if you've got any other medical condition, it's going to be good for you. You know, nothing should preclude you really and the information is really, really useful. So please fill it in. Is there an algorithm that exists that we can kind of plug in all this information you get from these forms? Obviously, we know that there are there's a lot of inaccuracy in these forms. But is there an algorithm where you can plug what people have said and it comes out with some kind of risk score? So you can stratify, stratify certain runners into being high risk or low risk when they're running marathons. Does that exist or is there the potential, do you think, in the future for that kind of thing to exist? No, but I, do, I just think you've identified your PhD thesis. So if you want to do it with the Bright Marathon, we'd be delighted to supervise you. Um, but no, that, so it's really interesting. In, in, in Italy, for example, every marathon runner is screened. I think they even do echoes in Italy. Um, brilliant, but the impact is completely utterly non-significant. Would I also recommend that anybody gets a echo before a marathon running no because i don't think you're going to you know the false positive is high the false negative is high it's going to put people off doing running and actually the overall public health benefit is, is massive so i don't think screening is appropriate i don't even think a, a risk stratify stratification tool is that helpful because even if it says somebody's risk is 0.5 percent versus 0.1 percent is that going to change things much probably not what I would say is if you've got a chronic condition, it's about individualised care, so go and see your GP. So things like, a really good example is, you know, if you've got a lot of people on thyroid tablets, I'm on, I'm on thyroid tablets, if you've got a thyroid problem, before you're doing a marathon, probably a good idea to get your thyroid function checked, that type of thing. But you need a yearly thyroid function test anyway. I'm not convinced how the risk stratification tool would impact on clinical factors, to be honest. Because I wouldn't want to do anything to put people off running. Because I think, yes, there are those rare deaths. And that is true. And actually, the more we find out, we realise that there's things we can do to stop it. So, you know, um, there are things. And and when you look at, when you do the assessments of why people have had them, there are salt reasons. And it used to be because of drinking too much water. And we know that we stop that, you know, by drinking to thirst. There are heat stroke problems. And we know the biggest factor is ibuprofen. And taking too much ibuprofen, and so if you don't take ibuprofen, your risk of heat stroke is, is massively reduced. And then there's the sudden cardiac arrest issues. In some ways, we are much better at looking after sudden cardiac arrest because of the amount of defibrillators. But also, that's a you know people have got hokum or hypertrophic, you know, basically enlarged hearts to make them at risk, and that may happen at, at anyway. And we don't echo the whole population, um, and I'm not sure that whole you know, the benefits of echoing everyone to see that make a big difference. Because even if you have got an enlarged heart, it doesn't mean you're going to have a cardiac arrest at all. I'm not sure we should be going down the Italian route where they do the, do that type of screening. Yeah, and as, as we said, we're trying to get people 
to be involved, be involved in exercise and not put all these barriers in the way I, I think, that you must have X, Y, and Z before you run. Yeah, and I think the big thing is people just worry about, oh, I'll watch the London. It's all about availability bias. You know, you see the London, you know, I think there's great North Run a few years ago when four people had a cardiac arrest. That is so rare. Um, and, you know, it's tragic for those four people. But what it doesn't see is of the other 50,000 runners, within the next year, a number would have died if they hadn't been doing exercise from strokes, from, you know, so the benefits are so massive. 54% reduction in ischemic heart disease, 5.6 years of added healthy life if you run regularly, massive reductions in um, cancer risk, massive reductions in stroke, hypertension, heart attack, increased, you know, the mental health benefits are just as great. And what I think we should be doing, what I've started doing in a and E now is when I discharge people, I, um, I you know, I, I advise them to um, sign up for Park Run. That's something because you've got someone who's depressed. Yes, we can get you some psychotherapy and we can get you some tablets, but actually exercise is far better than, well, obviously if you've got really bad mental health, you need that antidepressant, you need that psychotherapy, et cetera, et cetera. But the mild type, which almost definitely I had, and I, you know, I was going through my, my personal difficulties, I was miserable sin and running cured me in all honesty. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a really nice, nice note to end on yeah. that the, the, the thing that we were obviously talking about the marathon, but the thing we ideally want to do is just get people out the door and moving in any way they can for their health, both physically and mentally. Absolutely. So that would be my take home message that I know I look after the, the, the sick ones. And so I get all the, the exciting stories, but actually nothing is better for you than exercising. Um, and it just, just can really transform your health. So please don't worry about people like me. We're in the background to help if there are problems at the marathon, but hopefully if you did the Bright Marathon, you'd never see me and you just enjoy it and if anybody's interested in signing up for the bright marathon it's different for the london marathon there are places that's the main difference um <laughs> and um it's a beautiful route we've changed the route significantly this year we used to um, run through like a, a dockyard which was quite miserable for for 5k that or two and a half k back then back and we've changed it so it's all through beautiful streets of ho of brighton then through to hove and then back to brighton and it's a lovely route really well supported um and the atmosphere is amazing you know, so please, if you can't get into London or you want to do a different marathon, please come down to Brighton. We'd be delighted to see you. Perfect. And you mentioned earlier on about anyone that was interested in reaching out for research purposes. Um, if people do want to reach out, how could they contact you? Yeah. So anybody who's, so not just research, but if there's any medics who or nurses or physios who want to um, be volunteers, the best um, is to email me. That is D-R-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-G-A-R-O-B-